Elijah must come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. By these words, the Old Testament ends. And the gospel today continues. Elijah is provided for us a wonderful icon of the great transition from the times in which we live to the times which come from God. How awesome are you, Elijah, in your wondrous deeds, whose glory equal to yours, taken aloft in a whirlwind of fire. And we remember the colorful imagery of the biblical text by which Elijah disappeared from this world, caught up in a fiery cloud. Elisha, his lieutenant, observed him from a distance and exclaimed, the armies of Israel and all her hosts, because one man of God is worth more than an army, one voice which speaks for God with moral authority, with credibility, with sincerity and character, is worth more than all the defenses and all of the wealth and all of the securities we might amass for ourselves if we were godless. Elijah must come. His first coming was in a time in the history of Israel not so difficult for us to imagine. The children of Israel had become multicultural, and their multiculturalism was so profound that it involved regularly the compromise of the faith which was given to them by Moses and the law. And they had compromised the worship of God and were even adding to the worship of God the cult of many of the other nations and the sacrifices and the prayers of many other religions. And Elijah came with a kind of burning zeal if you will, of the jealousy of the one God to restore the heart of Israel and the faith given to them by Moses, to restore the heritage of Abraham, the covenant of Jacob. And Jesus tells us something of the great wonder of Elijah, but he also adds, they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. In his lifetime, Elijah was a failure, and he lamented it before God in so many words. He says it as a kind of plaintive chant. They have overturned your altars, he said. They have put your prophets to the sword. They have rejected your covenant, and I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He is alone, speaking for God. And the success of his life was not so much the glory that he enjoyed during his lifetime, but the contemplation of God in his soul. Carried aloft in a whirlwind, he belonged more to God than he did to this world. Alone amongst us, a kind of desert figure. He had the capacity to speak for God in a manner that echoed even in the heart of a faithless people. And little by little, the word which echoed in their hearts drew them back. From one generation to the next, the faithless in Israel trickled back into the faithful, and the covenant was restored. 
The Bible says that in the last days, Elijah would come again, the days before the kingdom. So the disciples of Jesus ask him, must he come? And Jesus said he has already come, the figure of John the Baptist. Because in the first century of the Christian era, the people of Israel were once again thrown up into a multitude of nations in the empire of Rome. And coming to the threshold of Jerusalem, the cult of the nations, the emperor himself regarded as divine, and all the pantheon of Greece and Rome. And the children of Israel were tempted and they were tested. Elijah came in the figure of John the Baptist to summon them home to a single-heartedness and a single-mindedness for God. And just as they did to Elijah, they did to John the Baptist whatever they pleased. And we know that he died in a dungeon, beheaded at the behest of Herod, the puppet monarch, that craven, compromised king. And Jesus would come to some analogous end, compromised by his own disciples, rejected from his own people, put to death at the hands of a Roman procurator condemned by the high priest. They will do to him whatever they please. And yet, in such figures as these, the covenant which God promises us is restored. Above all, in Christ Jesus, a new covenant is made. Sometimes it seems that when people do whatever they please to the children of God, it seems to us a kind of discouragement, the cause of alarm and sorrow. But in doing what they please, God shows he is sovereign over them because he makes us strong in ourselves in the contemplation of his truth and gives us the grace to come home to a union with him in love by which we transcend all the powers of this world, do what they please. We have come home to that union, to that contemplation in the Holy Eucharist, in this Holy Mass. We are gathered up into the whirlwind, the fiery cloud. We are given to contemplate the truth of God's covenant and to enjoy the assurance of his enduring love.